broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Midtown Business Radio. Very excited about today's show. We're going to be talking to folks that come from the arts and entertainment industry, learning about uh, various components of that business sector. Joined in studio, as always, by Krista Baruti on the board. It's my favorite subject. Mm. Hey. I'm so excited about the guests today. Some friends, some new friends. Why don't you introduce us to who we've got going on today? Well, we, we've got uh, John C. from the C. Law Firm. They're a, a legal firm here located in Atlanta that focuses on intellectual property matters uh, heavily in the entertainment sector um, and any other type of business that would have either trademark issues or things like that that they want to try to protect. So thanks for taking time out of your day to join us, John. Sure. Thanks for having me. We've got Chris Etheridge from Blue Dust Productions. Yes. Going to be talking a, a little bit about uh, yeah, a friend a of Krista Baruti. So we might have to have you do that segment. <laughs> uh, but learning about your new production that you have coming out, that's pretty cool. We've got Marcus Blackwell from Make Music Count, a really cool company that helps kids learn and advance their math skills through a, uh, an innovative approach using uh, some uh, musical education as, as a component of that. So I'm really looking forward to uh, bringing that out to the community. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. We've got Greg Shearer from Street Level Sound, a sound and uh, music production company locally uh, located here in Atlanta. So we're excited to have you. Thank you very much. And uh, jumping in at 1.30, he's in studio, but uh, don't, don't have him on a mic just yet. He'll jump in when uh, our friend Marcus Blackwell has to jump out at 1.30. But uh, he's from Sia Arts International, and we'll be learning about their uh, arts production uh, and theatrical group here in the Atlanta area. So we're uh, really excited about that. We're going to jump off with John. We'll talk about... Uh, intellectual property and when it makes sense to involve somebody like yourself uh, in terms of protecting my ideas and uh, kind of take us through how the genesis of of your law firm let's start there sure so uh i started off as an artist was a musician a touring musician uh tour manager music journalist for about 10 years um i decided i wanted to go to law school um so that i could continue sort of along a similar path and study entertainment law so i could potentially start to work with some of my friends and contacts in the industry. So even early on, you knew that you wanted to be in that space? No, not at all, actually. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> you know, in fact, until the age of 26, uh, the idea of going to law school wasn't at all a thought in my head. I would have said you were crazy. Yeah. But it just sort of reached a point where... Where you were uh, like, how am I going to make money at this? Right? That's pretty much it. <laughs> in fact, that's exactly it. Uh, and I was like, well, I guess I'll go to law school. And actually, there was a, was a friend of mine, uh, John Strom, uh, who you know sort of served as a mentor and a, a model for me. He is a former touring musician himself, uh, and he turned into an you know, entertainment attorney, very successful one. So he, you know, he sort of gave me some advice uh, and some insight. So I figured, well, that you know, sounds pretty good to me. So I went to law school. I studied entertainment law there. Um, when I graduated, spent some time over at uh, Turner Broadcasting, uh, did some healthcare, you know, uh, tech licensing agreements. Um, and I decided to start my own practice about three years ago. So I've been doing that for um, just over three years now. And I work exclusively with artists and arts businesses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess also some small businesses who need copyrights and, and trademarks done. Okay, so it's it's you know, heavily in the entertainment <coughs> business, obviously musicians, but, uh, you know, movie, any, anyone that's facing the entertainment space. So whether they're movie, television, movies, uh, right. plays, you know, any, anything like that that somebody might need to protect. Right. So, you know, it's true that, that my background is in music. Uh, so I'd say probably 60% of my client base is involved in the music industry. But, um, you know, I also work with visual artists, um, 
one of my clients is a uh, TV personality, have a celebrity chef, a theater production company. Uh, so it kind of spans the... Now, when you're working uh, with somebody so like that, mm-hmm. um, what kind of focus will you have? It's still intellectual property or you know, when you're working with a particular artist, is it more contract negotiation with their with their right. networks and things like that? or So perhaps, you know, there's a better way to conceive of it, which is how I sometimes like to talk about it, which is I'm, a, I'm essentially a small business lawyer. It just so happens that my small businesses are involved in the arts. So, you know, if someone needs to sign some talent agreement or something like that, then that's mm-hmm. something I'll review and negotiate. Gotcha. Now, if they have an issue that's outside of my scope of practice, I'll refer it along to someone else. But, uh, but yeah, I can usually assist with anything at all that's involved in the entertainment industry. Well, now, you know, I know that uh, you, you've got some, you know, pretty big time clients. You've been doing your thing for uh, several years now, mm-hmm. but uh, you mentioned, I hope it's okay to mention because he was going to join you sure, on the show sure. today, but uh, folks may have heard of Wilson Pickett mm-hmm. along the way. <laughs> um, and the uh, as it happens, you represent the Wilson Pickett estate and helping mm-hmm. them transact, you know, their daily business. So can you talk about that and, and uh, you know, how that got going? Sure. So... You know, when you're working with a client like that that has a significant back catalog um, of songs that are regularly being licensed, as well as much value in that name and Wilson Pickett's image, you know, too, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're approached by a variety of different parties who want to talk licensing uh, arrangements with you. Uh, and then you also have, you know, opportunities for Broadway productions, right. um, biographies, film treatments, uh, life story rights, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. That's one of my more um, higher demand clients, which is great. Um, you know, I've certainly you know really enjoyed working with them, and it's also really great for me because I grew up a big Wilson Pickett fan. I'm actually originally from yeah. Al- from, from Alabama, which is where he was born. So that to me was pretty cool. Man, to get how to cool is that? You know, it's it's, it's something I can certainly relate to, just because through my work here, I've gotten to meet really cool people. Like for me, as I sit around with you all, I'm thinking, man, I get the I get the coolest job, but uh, I can only imagine you're you're your typical day can you right. talk about who, you, who you're sure. having to interface with on a daily basis just movie companies mm-hmm. things like that yeah so i'll receive just random phone calls from people who find me online uh referrals from current clients from friends um so you know in a, a regular day i may fill out some phone calls you know maybe send off a uh, trademark registration application. Uh, maybe there's a business I'll, I'll go ahead and help uh, incorporate. Uh, I'll have an exclusive <clears throat> recording agreement that I'll either draft, review, or negotiate. Uh, maybe do a talent agreement. Um, and yeah, you know, throughout all that, in fact, uh, if, if you go to my website, uh, thecfirm.com, there's a uh, Spotify playlist where certain clients of mine have given me a permission to go ahead nice. and include songs of theirs on a Spotify playlist who are clients I yeah, work with. I like and that. so and that's really cool to kind of sit back and listen to that and think, wow, I have some really great clients or yeah. great musicians. We've been talking with John C. from the C. Law Firm, and as you've been able to hear, we he works very much in the entertainment space, providing intellectual property and legal services of all types facing those <clears throat> particular uh, folks in their business. Um, you know, Tell me why you think it's important for an entertainer of whatever type to you know, involve themselves with someone with your expertise, right? So you know, it's good to have someone who knows the industry, um, who can help to to answer some of your basic questions about it, uh, and then someone who has your back too. Uh, you know, there it's it, it's extremely hard to be a small business owner, particularly if you're just if it's just you. You know, there there's a lot of pressure. So it's nice to have someone else kind of look over your shoulder who knows what you're doing, and uh, I think you know that sort of 
one benefit that I feel like, you know, some clients of mine would maybe talk about is that I'm someone who knows what they do, so they don't have to kind of bring me up, you know, to uh, uh, speed on what they're doing because I already sort of, you know, have an idea in my head of it. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of, you know, come in, jump right in and, and offer some advice and assistance. And, you know, I can also help them save money. There are things that some businesses may think that they need that, you know, maybe they don't, uh, not yet anyway. So that's something too, I think a lot of people assume that if they call an attorney, the clock starts ticking and they're gonna be charged right. and I'm gonna say you have to have this and this and this. Um, when the, the reality of the situation is that, you know, I try to help my clients save money by figuring out things that they can do on their own, um, as well as saying, okay, well, here's something that you, that you need to have now, you know, maybe six months from now, we'll chat about this. So, you know, I, I, like, I like to think that I'm able to be helpful in that way as well. Yeah, I was gonna ask you on that topic, I mean, how, how does it work? Is it, you know, as it relates to securing a, uh, an attorney like yourself, is it you know kind of an increment of time, or is it kind of per interaction, or is there some sort of a, a retainer of sorts? How does that typically work for for the folks that are coming to you? Yeah. So as far as my practice is concerned, that's always a conversation I have with my clients, and we figure out a way that makes the most sense for them. Some clients do want some flat monthly retainer because you know that you know they want the ability to call and ask complicated questions. Now, if I'm working with a client, I don't ever charge for just you know a simple phone call here and there. Hey, I've got to just you know run something by you. You know, the rule of thumb that I use is that if I can answer it off the top of my head, I'm not going to charge you for it. Wow. If I ha- what if a I- concept. Right. <laughs> um, and I think maybe that comes from my own background as an artist, too. And, it, and it's just something about that seems, well, I guess I, I won't say anything about that practice because there are other people who you know choose to do things differently. And there are some other reasons for doing things like that. But for my own practice where I am now, I try not to. Hourly rate is something I'll sometimes charge or situations where that makes more sense. Um, what I, I try to do and what most of my clients prefer is to do flat rates where I usually kind of estimate how many hours it'll take and then I'll come up with a flat rate mm-hmm. and say, look, this is how much it's gonna cost. It's not going to exceed that unless things get you know absolutely crazy. Um, and we'll talk more about it then. Um, and the reason why that makes sense is because it's a fixed cost for me and for them. I know how much money I'm gonna make. They know how much money it's gonna cost. They can budget for it, and I don't want a situation where someone gets hit with a huge bill that they aren't expecting. That's cool. You know, it's nice to hear um, somebody in your in your uh, field working that way. Um, you know, it's really kind of cool for us here to be able to kind of give away the air, if you will, and mm-hmm. to be able to help people, not necessarily for a dime every time we talk to them. So that's pretty right. cool. I appreciate that and respect that. I, I know that uh, you know a couple of the folks that are in studio today. Can you introduce us to Marcus? I, I want to chime in got, real oh, quick. Please do. Real quick. Um, you know, one of the benefits, John, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an artist. I've been on the contract side, business, artist, business, artist. And it really takes away from the creative process when you're mm-hmm. having to go through and, and read the laws and the, you know, I can't create anything. All of my creative mojo goes away. So mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. like you, then I can just be the artist and right. then have you as the businessman. So going back to the benefits, it's really great. And then, sorry, if I could just no, add something please. else to that, just, you know, one example that there are a lot of musicians who just, for example, don't know what sound exchange is, which is, that's the entity that collects digital performance royalties for sound recording copyright uh, owners and featured performers. Um, so, you know, that's an example. There are a lot of right. artists who have never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. When, you know, uh, <laughs> that's the stream up. of revenue <laughs> yeah. that you need to be tapping into. It may not amount to much right now, but, you know, that's just something that I can help out with right. to sort of help you track down more revenue. Too, yeah, to I would more money. way rather just pay you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk later. <laughs> 
So as I was mentioning, um, you, you brought in a guest, um, Marcus Blackwell of Make Music Count, and uh, we were talking a little bit before we started uh, the show today, and I'm very intrigued by what you do there, helping folks improve their math skills through the use of uh, some music learning. So can you you know jump in and, and share us a little bit about what you're doing? Sure, sure. Well, uh, I'm originally from Connecticut, and uh, I began as a pianist at the age of five and uh, separately I was really good at mathematics uh, in school middle school high school but the two were disconnected and uh, in addition to that uh, a lot of the times um, math is taught to be feared and so a lot of students run into issues with their mathematics because they already think before going to the classroom that it's hard and that they can't do it and so uh, make music count uh, was an idea that came to me um, uh, in college, uh, a little bit after, and uh, a lot of my friends wanted me to teach them how to play the piano, but didn't know anything about music theory. So, because I studied mathematics at Morehouse, um, that was my way in. I said, okay, well, I, I have a method to teach you where you could just count, and uh, you don't have to know anything about music. You can build chords, and so then that's when I thought, well, I may be onto something here. Maybe I can help students who struggle in mathematics uh, by engaging them with saying, hey, let's learn the piano. So. I teach students how to play their favorite songs on the piano by solving algebra equations, adding fractions. Um, And so you kind of get a two for one in the same classroom. You get better at your math, so your teachers and parents are happy, and you're happy because you're learning how to play the latest hip-hop song on the piano in about an hour. And I've, I've heard that the tempo um, helps with uh, like a linear timeline. So kids with ADD or ADHD, um, it, it helps them focus. And so I'm right. sure that helps with studying. Right, absolutely. And so uh, I actually met John because when I made the curriculum, I said, okay, I have something. What, how do you, where do you even go from here? And so everyone's telling me, we've well, got to protect it, got to protect it. So I went on the internet and I just started searching for intellectual property and how do you protect your and ideas. And then came John C. And I found John. And so I called him and we just had a conversation about, okay, I've got this idea. I have an idea of how I want the business to be structured, but I'm not sure what to even do first. So uh, he helped me with incorporating my company with LLC. Uh, he helped me with um, protecting my logo, uh, the name, Make Music Count. So all the stuff that... I really just didn't know. I mean, I'm a mathematician and a pianist, so I, I really don't have that knowledge, or I didn't have it before. And so he literally walked me through those steps and you know, helped me set up myself properly so that when I go to pitch to school districts and principals, I'm official because I've mm-hmm. taken these steps mm-hmm. you know, to do so. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was going to ask you about that. Do do folks come to you, you know, kind of like a, for lack of a better example, say a Kumon, kids come to you to where you are and then also that you interface and do some on location things with schools or are you doing it exclusively at a school how does that work for you so this is a curriculum that i sell to schools so uh, most of the schools put my class in the after school area and so i would then go and myself and my other employees would go to the school to teach the class and so it's literally one song a lesson and so uh it's a bi-weekly i'm sorry it's twice a week that i go to the schools and it's a 12-week program. And you're actually teaching it yourself. You're the instructor for them, but you're uh, yes. going in and, and yep. providing that aftercare service. That's c- kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Now, is it just you You know, right now instructing? Or are you looking to add some folks so that you can cover more ground? Or how, uh, that I going? do have a team. I have a team of about uh, eight Make Music Count teachers who are all undergrad students. And so this is a really great way for undergrad students to have exposure into the classroom. A lot of them want to be teachers or right. just 
you know, want something fun to do after school that will pay fairly well. So I go and grab them because, as I said, I'm teaching them hip-hop music or popular music that little kids would want to learn. So I need to use fairly younger teachers. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hip teachers. Right, hip <laughs> teachers. Right. So I think uh, it's cool that you were self-taught on the piano, by the way. Didn't happen to mention that, but that's that's pretty cool. Well, I uh, well I, uh, I actually did have training, classical and, and jazz, uh, but I did teach myself gospel, which is yeah. where uh, this really came. I see. And now, who who are the kids age group wise? Is there kind of a particular set that you work with, or is it yep. all ages? Uh, fifth grade is where I usually start. Fifth through about uh, ninth or tenth, depending on the need of the students. Um, the standard core curriculum starts teaching algebra at fifth grade, mm-hmm. so by definition, that's where I need to start. Mm-hmm. But you'd be very surprised at how many students who are older and still don't understand the art of uh, substituting variables, order of operations, and uh, you need to have that foundation in order to move forward yeah. in anything. Honestly. I'm really interested. Can you give us an example without giving too much away? Sure, sure. So, uh, the you can, you can, you can sing for us. We can all chime know, in with like sing. voice <laughs> instruments. <laughs> we, don't, we don't sing in the Make Music Out class. We play the piano. So, uh, for example, uh, we would say uh, the lesson for today would be Alicia Keys' Fallen falling um and so what happens is if i tell you a note to start on Mm -hmm. uh, and tell you the amount of spaces to count you would be able to find the next note to play on the piano without doing anything besides counting Mm -hmm. and so the only thing i've done is just taking everything that's musical and giving it a math definition Mm -hmm. and that's really how it works and then when you have all your answers, you're playing the piano. Well, yeah, music is um, very mathematical mm-hmm. anyway, yep. so you've just defined it for people that have never yeah. spoken the language before. It's kind of like eliminating sheet music. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need sheet music. You don't need theory. Where you know, I usually play the song in class, and then, um, you know, we do the math, and they just match what they hear in the song in the background. Cool. What kind of feedback are you getting from your teachers that you're working, you know, alongside? Um, great feedback, actually. You know, I've had teachers tell me I've gotten some students to do more math work than they've done in an entire semester. You know, the engagement in class is really phenomenal, you know, because it's it feels weird for the students, but they like it because, you know, I'm learning music, but I'm using math. So I'm, I feel like I'm using something, a tool that I, you know, learn and use in school every day. Um, that and relating it to pop and relating pop to culture. something that I yeah. that I know and can relate to, right? Yeah, I think That's it's a great. really cool concept. Now, you know, obviously you interface with schools. Yep. Um, now, can can you know a listener sitting out there thinks, "Gosh, my kid could really use some help." Are they able to interface with you any way? You know, kind of yeah directly or um, how does how yeah? Does that I have happen? their workbooks um, on my website, makemusiccount.org, um, where you can essentially teach yourself just like I taught myself the piano um, you can do it at home you know of course you'll need a keyboard mm-hmm. but um, you know all the lessons are, are in the book and it's just simply using mathematics to, to learn how to play now this is a goofy question I suppose but there is technology mm-hmm. out there that allows this if I've got a big iPad or one of those types of screens that have the you know those keyboard kind of mm-hmm. applications on it where you can technically play would you be able to actually use that yeah. to a certain extent yeah yes you could wow that's kind of cool yes you could it's <laughs> really cool Thank you. Adapting and evolving with technology. Right, right, right. So where do you see this going? I mean, are you are you just looking to maybe, you know, kind of how far do you want to take your, your um, honestly, innovation here? Honestly, I, I really see this being used in 
any school after school program enrichment programs that have students that struggle in mathematics this is about improving your mathematics scores and to be honest every school has issues with mathematics have you done any kind of interfacing with the the folks say at the higher level of the education type department like the you know overarching um you as far as the principals and well just you know the department of education type folks that kind of oversee education on a higher level that you might be able to actually heighten the pace of awareness of what you're doing i think the concept that you have is really cool um i'm getting my foot in the door it's uh this is my second year doing this full time uh-huh. and so i'm now starting to meet the right people you know my first year was about figuring out what i had and how would i be able to structure a business this year has been about meeting the right people, the superintendents, the principals, mm-hmm. that would be able to uh, share with others about how this curriculum can help their students. We've been learning about uh, Make Music Count uh, from Marcus Blackwell, who founded it a couple years ago here in Atlanta. And they're interfacing with schools and uh, young students who are just beginning to learn some more advanced mathematics like algebra and things like that to uh, heighten the pace at which they're able to con- you know, conceptualize, mm-hmm. you know, some of these hard to understand subjects, or at least at first they can seem kind of foreign. I know when the kids started getting into fractions, it was kind of like, what are we talking about here? Right. And it's kind of crazy that you can sit down on a keyboard and actually begin to grasp that. I, I'm, I find it very intriguing. I'm looking forward to digging into it a little more deeply. Thank you. You have a, a, maybe a cool example of a story or a kid or interaction that you had that, uh, that you know, you might yes. want to share before we go? Yes, many. Um, I actually, which let me know that this is really helping, I actually met a ninth grader that didn't know how to add halves. Um, Because a lot of times, you know, when you learn about fractions, you learn fractions with pizza, Mm -hmm. two halves equal a whole. But a lot of students don't understand that half plus a half equals one. And you can only eat so much pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You can eat them half at a time. (laughs) And so not being able to count by halves is a a very big problem, especially for a ninth ninth grader. Mm -hmm. And... You know, when I incorporated it with the songs, he was able to not only do that, but then move forward with, you know, performing at the math level he should have been in the first place. So there, you know, it, it really does work. Well, that's <laughs> very cool. I'm very excited that uh, that you introduced us to, to Marcus and his story because, um, you know, the impact that you're having. I mean, I know my own kid has, has you know, struggled, uh, at least in the early days, getting better now, now that she's in a good place like Swift School um, to be able to you know conceptualize these types of subjects so it's very neat to have an innovative uh, approach to it like this I'm certainly going to take a closer look and see if there's not something that we might be able to do with her as it relates to this as well Um, so thanks John for introducing us to to Marcus Um, now I know Marcus you got some place to go do you have any thoughts before we have to let you go out of studio I know you got a place you got to be um yeah I'm actually getting ready to go teach a class in Edenton Georgia great and um, it's another after-school program but uh, anyone can can reach me at my website makemusiccount.org the best place to see examples of class is actually on Instagram okay I record snippets of class so that you can see how it's interactive it's gonna look like a piano music class yeah but they've actually solved the math lessons already and are now playing you know after you do the math it becomes like band practice yeah. so that's so cool i mean what kid <laughs> yeah. goes home and they're like oh, i learned math today yeah. and they right, go home right. and they're like yeah. i learned right math. right it's kind of like we're tricking them though you know it's like oh i learned alicia keys today <laughs> 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 now you're but, but you know but that's just it half the time you know our, our difficulties that we're perceiving are just that they're perceptions right it's, it's, right. it's our mindset going in so absolutely to be able to kind of shift it a little bit and then all of a sudden they're like oh wow this is actually you, you, you may reframe. be actually uncovering 
mathematicians to be that never had an idea one that they would be able to do it right. so that's pretty cool yeah that was my exact story cool. too well, I'm very glad that you made some time to, to join us on the show today. Absolutely. Uh, we'll let you get on down to Eatonton. We, <laughs> we've got to get uh, uh, some of our other folks in here. Um, so thanks a lot to uh, to Marcus. Make sure you link up with him on his website. On the website, he can tie you into his uh, Facebook and Twitter yep. uh, locations there, and we'll follow him as well. So if you're tied in with the show's uh, uh, social media, you'll be able to, to find him there as well, and we'll be making sure we share your information as we go. Thank so you very much. Cool maybe stuff. we'll have you back. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Hope you come back. Have a good class. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, you know, next up, we got somebody else that uh, John was kind enough to introduce us to. We got uh, Greg yeah. jumping Sh- in from the uh, street, uh, street street level. level sound. So, take me through your story. How d- how did you get started in uh, in street level sound? And we'll come up to the day. Um, well, I would have to say I kind of you know fell into it. <laughs> um, um, if you want to really go all the way back, um, I, I uh, like a lot of kids, was handed uh, a guitar when I turned 11. In fact, we've made that a rite of passage in our family now. You turn 11, you get a guitar. and then It's a not a bad deal. Yeah, you have to learn how to play it then, you know. <laughs> um, but the company actually uh, has been in existence now uh, beginning in 2004. And up to that time, I was an employee of someone else. Yeah. And I felt it was uh, the right time to not be the employee anymore. Uh, but what our company does is create um, musical uh, content and, and sound design content for commercials and for TVs and radio shows. Um, we have gotten, uh, in fact, I was counting later on today, in fact, I hit a milestone uh, in the month of October. I'm up to 56 TV shows now. Good job. Wow. What are so some of those TV shows? Well, I had, to, I had to bring a list because I didn't want to trust my memory. That's what happens when you get to 52. <laughs> you have to bring a list. Okay. Um, and I have to I, I have to be very candid and say there there's some okay. some winners in here and there's some real dogs <laughs> too. You know, um, for you they're all winners since you were part of it. it right? Yeah. Did they pay? When they when, were winners. When the quarterly <laughs> check comes around, then I can say there yeah, it's go. a winner. Okay. But um, <laughs> some of the network things are like um, uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, Body of Proof. Um, in Plain Sight, Intelligence, uh, Revenge, Raising Hope, wow. um, Veronica Mars, uh, Catfish, Dr. Oz Show, um, America's, America's Oz, Most Wanted. One or two you've heard of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe. And well, this we haven't seen each other in, in a couple of years, but right. you were hitting it hard with Dr. Oz last time we dropped off. Yeah, and these, these are things that, that really kind of were almost uh, um, a, a sideline because I always really wanted to push writing for TV commercials. Mm-hmm. In fact, I do a lot, I've done a lot of TV commercials. In fact, I make a little mnemonic for myself when I talk to people about I have one for every, for every letter of the alphabet from um, AT&T and Aetna to BMW to Conoco to Dannon and Dell to Domino's to Gillette to Hard Rock Hotels <laughs> to Kellogg's <laughs> to Kraft to Lysol to Mountain Dew to and so on. Um, I'm still working on It's your promo X. jingle. I haven't gotten. We got to get zero. Oh. Yeah, I'm waiting for that one. Um, but business radio X. Hey, yeah, I don't there's well, an X in there that's fairly prominent. I might be able to make that count. You never know. <laughs> I've sent you an email. Send it back. <laughs> there. We, um, but our uh, business is kind of a family business. It's really myself and my two uh, two boys. Why don't you brag about um, Kyle and Paul? They're doing I some awesome stuff. Right. They're uh, in an end of the business that I I kind of began. I began in the record industry, and uh, when I began, I, I wanted to be a recording artist, and I actually put out two CDs in, in the 80s and 90s that were in what was called uh, 
uh, new adult contemporary was the the genre. Did you have like a rock band photo? Because I would like to see that from oh, the 80s. Oh, <laughs> I, I, got, I got a rock band photo that's going to drive you nuts. Okay. Oh, oh you won't you won't <laughs> believe drive it. Drive you up. You're going to have to post it on the show's yeah, yeah. Twitter page. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I quickly got out of um, that part of the biz because it was it's just so. Um, I don't know what to say shady, but yeah. but but it is kind of shady, you know. And I wanted to get something that was a little more, a little more uh, I could count on it and steady. So I got into commercials and, and being uh, raised in the Chicago area, that was at the time the capital of the world for radio and TV commercial creation, and fell into that and through some good um, connections with people. And you worked for some studios as as well, right? Worked from studios and kind of moved from one. I, I actually began in Chicago as a, a session guitarist. And and got to meet producers and, and I, you know, say I'd like to go on that side of the glass now, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, convince them I could write. And I got hired by a company called Advertunes, and we created music for um, Unical, for uh, Captain Crunch was one of my <laughs> my early ones, um, for Ford, for Craft um, Cheese. There was a bunk, bunch of them, and then um, that was kind of where I got cut my teeth in in that part of the biz. It was really kind of fun. And then since then. Um, you know, have added a lot of others to that to that list. But the whole TV thing has been kind of a, um, a thing I fell into and really didn't um, didn't really intend to go there. But began almost uh, right after a, a street level sound beca- uh, began. We ha- picked up as our first client the Oprah Show, mm-hmm. and so for ten years I was a music writer for the Oprah Show. Wow! Up until the time she went off network, and um, in the context of doing that, created probably four hundred pieces of music for the Oprah show that ran for all those years. In fact, they're still running. I'm very happy about that. Nice. Congratulations. And um, along with her show, then some of the other things that were under her umbrella, like the Dr. Oz show and the, mm-hmm. the Rosie show and the Nate Burkus show were all under the Harpo umbrella of shows, and they were all, you know, uh, doing that. So that was, um, was something that kind of uh, changed in its nature a couple of years ago when she went off network and went on to, to cable. Um, but since that time, the, the two boys have come of age, as, mm-hmm. as Chris was pointing out, and you've, you've had the pleasure of meeting the two yes. boys. And um, they're in the record industry, and I don't know why. Um, <laughs> what are they doing <laughs> in the Could in have the, in to the do with their industry. dad. Um, they are both in uh, production of, of music for different artists. In fact, uh, Kyle, at the age of 24, got a Grammy nomination last Congratulations, year. Congratulations, Kyle. That's huge. Yeah. It's huge for him, yeah. He... Um, you guys are so nonchalant too <laughs> this year. So they're just like, <laughs> no. mm, you yeah, know, like a, he, he's, he's currently Didn't working win. with uh, on the new release by. Uh, 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 call me maybe. A uh, chick. Ca- yeah, Carrie R- Ray. Car- Car- Carly Ray. Carly Ray. Carly Ray. Yeah. Yeah. There you go, Chris yeah. Etheridge. Yeah. <laughs> Carly Ray. Yeah. yeah. So he, right. so he's the girl in the studio. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. So he's working with Carly Ray, and he also has done some new stuff for this new artist named Tovlo, who's coming up the charts. And um, he also is, uh, he's, he's done work with, uh, oh, just, um, it, just a lot of different artists. And Paul um, has kind of his own little thing. They're, they're a little bit competitive. And right. uh, well, they're brothers. They have to. They have, they're a little bit competitive. Yeah. Paul was the uh, first guitar player for Lady Annabellum. And um, was, was, with okay. <laughs> <laughs> was with them and, um, in their early times until they uh, got on the label. And then he, he actually, they, they went through a whole thing where they, took all the original members and kind of traded them out. Yeah. But he kept a real good relation with them and, and uh, had done some production from them since then, doing like dance club remixes of some of their hits, like Run To Me and, and so on. But um, 
they are both in that part of the industry, although um, they also work with me on commercials. Uh, Paul has done a Domino commercial, and um, it was kind of fun to take that ball through up there and see which one of them was going to grab that one. So <laughs> well, I think whoever it's really has the free time in between yeah. Grammy nominations, and, you yeah, know, that's right. Whatever. I think it's intriguing because uh, I don't I don't know if a lot of folks would really think of Atlanta as much of a center for you know arts and production of of movies and television, but it really is kind of it's in huge. the last few years it's really begun to take off in that way. The the industry is getting quite large here. I mean, obviously, you know, with Tyler Perry doing the mm-hmm. purchase of half the countryside on the south side of town, and you know, it's right, really right, getting right. big here. Well, the tax incentives, and then that, Chris, that's something that we can go into as well. Sure, yeah. um, so have have you with you know with the way it's been you know building up here? Obviously, your you know many of your clients are are elsewhere. I mean, uh, how how. Once you got to Oprah, I mean, obviously, I'm sure that opened many, many doors in terms of being able to have that on your resume, and then plus all the, the shows they had under that brand that, that you know made sense to just kind of pull you in with that. But well, there is a certain amount of name power there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, how do how do you you know folks come to you? I mean, is it just because of credits on other productions, or how do they find you to to tap into your expertise? Well, this. Um, business is there's a catch-22 in getting into this part of the biz that it, you all have to show what you've done before someone will trust you i mean because people have got big budget productions I mean, you know even like a, a tv commercial you don't think about it but there are hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. that go into making a tv commercial and many times it, um if you're pr- providing the audio or the sound design or the music you're that last link in the chain and you've got to either save it or or sync it you know mm-hmm. and i've got a lot of stories where it comes down to that final minute, and the client has got the huge eye, eyeballs like this, and they're thinking, you know, is my whole investment going to go down the tube now? Um, and it really does take um, a lot of trust for a client who has put $200,000 into production and editing to turn that over to you and say, okay, now now make it work and make it magic and, you know, let's run with it. Um, so you'd ha- you have to be able to, to show them you have that kind of ability, that you have a track record that, you know, because I've done this for another client, I can do that for you. Right. So there's a quite a bit of um, track record and, you know, credibility that needs to be built up. And, you know, getting started, I think, is probably the hard thing there. When you're in, you know, in this type of space where you're, you know, doing music and sound for, you know, productions of various types, are to, to build your business, to build your company, or do you have... Are you yourself or somebody that, that is working with you, are they kind of going out there and saying, hey, we're here, think about us? Or is it more just based on I referrals only kind of stuff? Well, it's kind of kind of odd. I mean, I have um, a person on the West Coast that does that for me, and I have someone on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work that I get is coming in from West or, you know, New York or L.A. In fact, I just struck up a deal with a, a company out in uh, L.A. To, to make some movie trailers. and um, But... And signed a, a vocalist, amazing song to their company. That's Hello. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, oddly enough, um, you know, I, I, it, it's more, more of my things come in from outside of town than inside of town. Wow. Yeah, which is kind of weird. That's the way um, it goes, I guess. Well, you know, it goes, it goes right back to that relationship thing. I mean, I, for the listeners out there, I worked for Greg uh, a couple years ago doing just that. And a lot of it was for ad agencies, which talk about like the hardest sell of your life, selling to an ad agency, right? And music at that. Um, but, you know, staying present. But there, I mean, it's these people, they have their go-tos. And I'm sure a lot of your stuff is just return and referral. And those people that you've developed that that trust, you know, you know you're going to hit that deadline. You know you're going to turn out quality work. And it, it's it's so important to do right. that. That's true. In fact, um, 
I always like it when I have what I would call, you know, repeats or, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, comebacks. Um, I um, found that's a lot of this business. Um, um, one, of, one of my uh, big clients that's been a comeback uh, is, um, is Kellogg's. I've got, I think, four or five things I've done for them. Um, Mellon Financial has been another one. Uh, State of Pennsylvania Tourism has been another one where I've, you know, like multiple returns. That's always kind of good, you know, when someone, you know, will show you that they have that kind of a trust in, you know, in the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty interesting as we sat around and kind of chit-chatted uh, amongst ourselves before the show was starting. You, you commented, given the fact that John's here um, as an expert in protecting people's intellectual property, you mentioned the fact that as you sit around and watch television or listen to the radio, you're constantly hearing infractions or what are probably infractions of intellectual property. Um, you know, I think it's interesting how, you know, when you get into a space, you know, I'm come from healthcare myself, my training and expertise, so my view of that space is radically different than yours. And so I see all kinds of elements that you would never notice. And I think it's kind of interesting how, what, y- what your experience is like as you watch TV or as you listen to the radio, you're doing more than just simply listening to the art that's coming out. You're actually analyzing it from a different perspective, which I think is kind of cool. Oh, sure. In fact, um, Probably the thing that I hear most often from the from the client is, how close can you get me to that song without getting me sued? <laughs> I mean, that's like that's that I hear that I would imagine so many times, and because of that fact of being very um, sensitive to what people are doing with their intellectual property, and I think most of the people that do infringe, they do it out of ignorance. They don't right. because they don't know the law, or they think you know, hey, it's floating out there in the ether. I can grab it and use it. You know, uh, it's free. In fact, there's a there's a, a certain movement of afoot these days to to make intellectual property not really kind um, of open own, source. Own, it's out there o- now. You ownable, can have right? Um, which I'm I'm obviously as one who's created you know thousands of pieces of intellectual property. I'm dead I'm dead set against that. You know. Yeah. Um, but you hear it all the time, and um, it, it's a little bit troubling. And I hope that you know if I can be in someone's corner for intellectual property, that someone would do that for me. And I've actually had thi- my things infringed you know, before, and I, I've, I've felt violated in a certain kind of oh way, yeah. you know. No, I get, you know, I can see from the artist's perspective, certainly, that, you know, you feel stolen from, because sure. that's what you are. Right. That's your product, is your your artistic expression, you know, and yours happens to flow out through the airwaves. It's invisible, but it's there, and it's and got... And once, once it's out it's there, powerful. it's out there. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And, you know, and I can see where in this kind of a space that it would be tempting to, you know, steal an idea or steal something outright, um, yeah. you know, to try to move your product or your your career along. Right. And I think most people don't do it out of malice. They do it out of ignorance. So. And that's why we have John C. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually, just to jump in real quick, sure. one of the best things you can do as an artist uh, is to go ahead and register your copyrights. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if there is an act of infringement, then it just drastically changes the bargaining power if you're talking to the other party and trying to work something out. Because if it's a registered copyright, you're entitled to statutory damages, uh, including potentially reimbursement of your lawyer fees. And wh- at what point are you able to say this is copyright material, register that? Well, uh, the instant that you fix something in a, a tangible medium of expression is what the exact wording of the Copyright Act is. Mm-hmm. In other words, as soon as you record something, as soon as you write it down, it's protected by copyright law. And if someone infringes it, then you're allowed to say, hey, here's a cease and desist letter, or you have to stop, you have to pay me. But registering the copyright gives you numerous extra benefits. Right. Um, statutory damages are for willful copyright. Uh, infringement can be as much as $150,000. Because if someone infringes something, um, they might not directly benefit that much from it, but it still could cause real harm for you. But if it's, if it's an unregistered copyright, all you're entitled to is your 
actual damages, which are usually interpreted as whatever the license fee would have been, which might have just been $1,000. And then whatever profits are attributable to the act of infringement, which might be pretty much zero. Yeah, uh, whereas, difficult, to, to difficult to show. And they're measure. hard to prove. Whereas for registered copyright, you're entitled to statutory damages which may be higher, but then also reimbursement of attorney fees, which if you're going to sue mm-hmm. someone are absolutely going to be well over six figures. So you can sort of use that as some leverage to force a settlement in your favor. Right. And it's such an easy process yeah. getting it's something very copyrighted. Process. It's 30 bucks for one or multiple, you know, okay. tracks, whatever you're sending. So I, just do it. So are you saying then that I don't necessarily have to get in the uh, services of a, an attorney even to register no. you can there's you some kind of go online get portal the that you can do that through copyright.gov uh and in fact and i occasionally repost it i'm sorry to be to be jumping in uh with this but i occasionally repost it i have a blog post that walks you through how to register it i always tell my clients look you, you can handle this on your own you don't have to be an attorney if you don't have time if you don't want to worry about it i'm happy to handle it for you mm-hmm. and i have a fee i charge which is actually exactly what uh, legal Zoom charges for it, um, and I'm certainly I'm happy to do it. Uh, and there are some issues that potentially get a little bit complicating uh, with it, but um, but yeah, it's an easy process. So long and short, if you're an artist, whatever the type, and you've produced some piece of art, particularly of music or script or something like that, you want to go and get that done so that now you have <coughs> some real leverage. There is kind of an interesting um, sort of alternate part of the biz where I've actually been. Um, asked by a client to use someone else's copyrighted material. In fact, there's a, um, an attorney I use in New York who, that's his total gig, is to go out there and track down the ownership of a piece of property and mm-hmm. then negotiate how much that would cost. I had a thing a couple of years ago where a, a restaurant chain wanted to use Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis, and um, oh, yeah. I had to uh, track down who, who owned that, and it uh, turned out to be believe it or not, Michael Jackson. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the client was not happy to hear that Michael Jackson right. wanted $100,000 to, to use that song. And, uh, have a great commercial. and then the client said to me, well, how close can you get to that? <laughs> of course, that's the next question. <laughs> We've been talking with Greg Shearer from Street Level Sound here in Atlanta, a sound and uh, a music production company that's obviously got quite a, a client list of uh, both television and other productions that they've worked with over time. So uh, if you're in the market for some sound or music to back up what you're doing, then obviously they're extremely qualified based on what we've learned today. Um, before we run out of time, we've got a couple other folks we want to uh, jump in with. You want to introduce our, our next guest there, Chris, Chris since you know. Etheridge. That, that would be me, yes. He's not new to Business no. Radio X show. Um, you've been on Atlanta Film Talk a few times. Absolutely. Um, so, big news, everyone. Well, not everyone knows about Attack of the Morningside right, so Monster. Right, let's talk about it first. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's okay. let everybody know. So, yeah, so Attack of the Morningside Monster uh, is a uh, full-length feature film. It was shot here in Atlanta. We brought, uh, we brought in Nicholas Brennan, who played Xander on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We brought in Tiffany Shepis, who is a, 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 an amazing indie horror, uh, horror actress who's done, I think, 100-plus films now at this point. And, uh, and then we brought in Kat Tabor, who is originally from Augusta, and uh, but she's out in LA now, and she's the voice of Amidala in the Clone Wars cartoon series. Uh, but then we used local actors Rob Prago and Amber Cheney as well, plus a bunch of other local people uh, mm-hmm. to fill in our cast. And uh, it's it's just basically a horror thriller. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of it's a mass killer movie, but you start thinking you know Freddy or Jason. And it's not quite like that. It's a little bit more of a murder mystery. It just happens to have a mass killer in it. So it's like light horror mm-hmm. elements and then thriller elements kind of mixed together. So. It's a uh, really great story. Chris is the director, everyone, for oh, the yeah. listeners. Okay. I directed yes. it, yep. <laughs> Director of yep, the written, film. Written by Jason Palmer. Uh, 
and produced by uh, Michael Harper, at, who's also been on the show before. Yes, shout uh, out to, to everyone. And Jason and I also produced it. So, so the big news. Uh, yeah, so we've, we're out. We're, we're available. It's out. We've, we've been out on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, two years. We shot, we shot this thing starting at the end of 2012 um, and in through 2013. Uh, and then we, uh, you know, posted it and then took it to distribution or to go find distribution. And that was a big process. And, uh, and that was a really big, was, process. Was a big process. I've yeah, walked, <laughs> I've walked alongside of you guys throughout yeah. this, working with you and just seeing you go through all of the uh, jumping over all of these hurdles. Like I'm so proud and, and happy for oh, you guys. Thank you. thank you. Yeah. Distribution was interesting because we, we, uh, I do a lot of the, I do a lot of the, uh, legal work, uh, sort of myself. Like I file for the copyright and I, you know, registered the LLC and all that stuff, but I had to go get a lawyer to get out of our first deal because we had a problem with the, they were, they violated their contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to go, uh, get someone to help us remove ourselves from that and then we got we have new deals with much better companies and uh we're out on um pretty much every major digital platform uh we're on itunes amazon voodoo playstation xbox youtube uh i think that's all the big am i missing one i might be missing one uh that's all the big digital online ones though and then we're on uh vod on charter cox verizon uh RCN, Optimum, most of the major cable companies were not on uh, Comcast, <laughs> unfortunately for Atlanta. Uh, but uh, but you can get us on any of the you know, Amazon or iTunes, uh, any of the ones that stream to your TV. Voodoo, I use Voodoo a lot because it streams to my uh, my DVD player. So you know uh, you can you can watch it on your TV that way if you don't have. And then upcoming DVD and Blu-ray release. Oh uh, yeah, and it will be will be January. DVDs coming out January twentieth. I'm really excited about that. We're gonna be. Um, it's cool. It's got a some extra features and uh, just you know we'll be, we'll be available in some stores we're not sure which ones yet uh we'll definitely be on amazon and almost every major online retailer uh will, will absolutely have us uh and then we'll probably sell it from our website as well which is the morningsidemonster.com and uh and then a special edition blu-ray with a bunch of we're, we're, we're working on that right now we're a bunch of extra like it's nice packed with extra features that'll come out later we don't have an exact date yet but we're working on a soundtrack uh it sounds like there's some business in there, the there, works there, works there are a couple of uh baruti <laughs> tracks <laughs> on the uh, on the soundtrack uh which are awesome and uh but no i'm probably not gonna do a soundtrack that Who knows? See, I'd have to go renegotiate with all my to, artists. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna need a little break uh, uh, after this. You're, so uh, you guys are going international too. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We're uh, so the American film market, which is the major one of one of the major uh, markets, takes place next week, and we'll be represented there. Uh, I went last year; it was a lot of fun. I'm not going this year, but we are represented by a company there that's going to sell us internationally. So we'll be. Uh, it looks likely that we'll be at least in the UK, Australia, Japan, Germany, Excellent. Um, and possibly many others but the market it's a really tough market right now the proliferation of digital cameras has made made it easier for filmmakers like me who've been doing it for a while to make films but it makes it easy for a lot of people to make films Mm -hmm. and so there's the market has a lot more product so it's a lot harder to find your niche um and we're hoping we're hoping that our cast helps us stand out from a lot of the independent films that are out there because because we do have some recognizable faces Mm -hmm. in our cast What's the process like when you're, you know, trying to put something like this together? You talk, you know, about funding and things like that. How do you? Uh, you know, there's there's a billion like? different roads to funding. Um, but it's for movies like ours, and we're and we're a low budget film. We're we're the, we're a SAG, ultra low budget. That's the contract we use for our actors uh, with through their guild, uh, and it's which is under two hundred thousand. And and so, we didn't. 
you know go find high high end equity investors we we kind of reached out to to people we knew um and and were you know kind of met along the way and then self-funded some of it ourselves you know, sort of so. the same with any small business yeah. entrepreneur go right. friends family so yep. absolutely start there absolutely um, so blue desk productions where do you go from here? Obviously, you got something that's we, you know hitting the markets, doing pretty well. Right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We hope. I, 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 uh, I feel like you know the only feedback I have right now. I won't see numbers for a few months. It's all quarterly based. Yeah. Uh, and we've only been out three weeks, but it, but it, our our online presence has has made me feel like we're doing pretty well. So obviously you're here, and we've got you know I know on the Business Radio X network we have a lot of folks that tune in for our content. Right. So that's a, a nice new media outlet that gives you a ton of earned media. But uh, what else are you doing to get the word out about what you're doing? Uh, so we're doing uh, a bunch of social media and then and then uh, a little bit of traditional advertising. And that's lots a real of festivals. Uh, lots too. of festivals. Yeah, we're, 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 we're done with that now. We basically wound down our <laughs> yeah. festival thing. We spent a year while we were dealing with the distribution mess. We spent a year traveling to festivals. We screened it uh, probably 16 or 17 festivals wow. um, in the U.S. Uh, over the last since January. And um, and then you know took home a few awards and a lot of a lot of uh, nominations. And Would you uh, like to name any of your uh, awards? Yes. Um, Give yourself some props. Yeah, the the the, the uh, we 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 took home best drama at the Fright Night Horror Film Festival uh, in Kentucky uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, which is one of the bigger horror film festivals. And then we uh, Rob Prago, our, one of our lead actors, he took home best actor at the Crimson Screen Film Festival in Charleston, and uh, he's he's an incredible actor uh, and really kind of anchors this film, and. Uh, and then uh, we've been nominated. Several of our actors have been nominated for for best actor or best actress uh, at various festivals. Um, I think those are the I think those are the big ones, though. So when you start getting to the you know the media like D- DVD, Blu-ray, those mm-hmm. that type of uh, you know medium that you're going to distribute, how do you get it out to the public? Obviously online you can order it and that kind of thing, but right. I mean, will it be in stores and uh, or or certain stores or where it, somebody can walk in it and buy it? Hopefully, will be. That's 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 one of those things we have to kind of wait and see because the stores decide what they order, mm-hmm. right? So we have a distributor that uh, is big enough to to do that. You know, we have a, they they deal with uh, all the major retailers. Uh, but our film itself is kind of small, so they a lot of stores don't pick up films as small as ours. Uh, How about Redbox? Re- Redbox, we're we're in contention at Redbox. They're, we're in front of them right now. We're waiting to hear on that. That that would be a big deal. But they do Redbox does do uh, a fair amount of indie horror. Yeah. In particular, they 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 do. Doesn't Rob's got one on there right now? Didn't he? Does it? Yeah, Remnants maybe or something. Or v- zombie invasion. Zombie, I don't think that, I don't think that's on Redbox. No? That's, that's on. I just saw something about it. Oh, maybe it is. I I could be wrong. I don't. I don't. Don't quote me. Yeah. So, so Zombie Invasion is one of Rob's other films that he was heavily involved with the production of, and it's it's out right now, and it's been out since I think April, and uh, you know, and they're they're doing the same path, right? You go out to the different, the different uh, VOD things, and then you try and get Redbox, and you try and get the retailers, and to to a certain extent, that's out of my hands, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's that's why you have a distributor, is that they they're the ones that go take it and put it in front of Walmart, and put it in front of Best Buy, put it in front of Target, those places. And um, you know, and and if I don't know if you've been in the stores lately, but they're they're scaling back on how much they carry. Right. That's it's definitely DVD. It's still a viable yeah, medium. Being in the store is not necessarily a bad thing now. I think uh, a lot of people are going away to that direct, you know, well, Amazon right. it's, that it's, kind of model. It is what it is. Um, you know, the, a lot of people don't want the physical media anymore. They mm-hmm. they just want to buy it, it. And that's yeah. and that's fine. I don't I don't uh, doesn't really matter. 
It doesn't matter. We we see more. We honestly, per transaction, we see more money from the digital anyway. I'm sure. So you yeah. know, it's not yeah. less packaging. Uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't bother me one or the other. I, I am a, I am a, a Blu-ray collector, so I, I do I like the fact that it's going to be available. You're a film director, of course. Yeah. You have right. to have right. that yeah. actual. Yeah, um, for sure. And and the extras and things like that. That stuff. That's the mm-hmm. stuff I always love watching commentaries and things like that. So. Uh, so and we do have that on our on our physical media when it comes out, but you know well, I don't care. I, however you like to consume it is how I want you to consume <laughs> that's it. You right. know, <laughs> it's been very cool having you on talking about Attack of the Morningside Monster, Chris Etheridge from Blue Blue Dust Productions. Uh, and anything real quick before we jump over, we've got one more guest we want uh, to talk to. You know, we're we're getting ready, we're gearing up for the next things we're doing, and we do uh, we do uh, my partners and I we do. Uh, help other indie film productions if you need you know if, if you need some of our we've kind of been through the process now and we have a little bit of expertise uh and we do help other uh other productions in a producerial and capacity for, for an indie director i tell you this is one of the most professional creative people i've worked with it was an absolute pleasure so if you need help come to this guy he knows uh, i gotta, I gotta pay her after the show now yeah, that's <laughs> right we were tickled that chris introduced us and jumping over to our next guest another friend and colleague of uh, of john here um we've got our folks from uh SIA arts international we've got uh, uh philip justman that's right about mm-hmm. about, about lost it there mm-hmm. but thanks for making time to come out tell of us all about uh, SIA arts international well SIA arts it's a um uh, we are well known for doing uh, immersive theatrical productions in Atlanta. That's sort of how we've made our name. And what an immersive theatrical production is, is sort of this new wave of, um, of theater that's come around, um, especially in, in Atlanta and Georgia, um, I think more so because of the weather. Uh, it, it provides a, a larger window of doing theatrical productions in non-traditional spaces. So that's sort of what we do. Um, myself and my wife, Miriam Collard, we run the company. And um, like I said, we've become well known for um, taking, for writing um, original content, original stories, and putting them in places where the there is no uh, place to sit down as an audience. You actually follow the performers, mm. and um, you'll go into, uh, for ex- for example, our first uh, uh, production was um, a play called Rua Wolf. And it took place at the Goat Farm Art Center, right when it was sort of becoming well known as the Goat Farm Art Center. And you followed Little Red Riding Hood on her sort of journey towards grandmother's house and that's sort of the thing that brings people in this sort of gimmick of interesting like oh yeah you get to follow but the real the real quality of our work is the stories itself we really try to create incredibly authentic um, brave uh, experiences for people um, where you're diving not only into character and into story but into um, into all aspects of the experience like we try to um, uh, envelop all senses that we usually feed the audience at some point and has something to do with the story to pull you in even further mm-hmm. and not to mention you're walking you're engaging with your environment you have the characters around you there's the lighting there's the the story itself so I, I think a lot with nowadays especially today's younger audiences where you um, you can jump from entertainment device to entertainment device very quickly um, this sort of multi-pronged approach to creating an event where you can be pulled in by the scent or pulled in by the environment or pulled in by the story or pulled in by um, the visualizations or the sound the music all this stuff then it provides all these avenues for people to really get involved um, in what we do and so that's sort of what we've become well known for um, but we do a lot of other things too we uh, we create um, we do a lot of writing we do story uh, storytelling um, we're now diving into the film world a little bit there's been some interest with some of our shows with that um, um, 
And yeah, so we do we do a lot of different things. But that's sort of where what we're known for, and that's how we met John. So with your production being immersive, and and we're going to follow you around, I would presume that the the audience has got to be relatively small and and you know kind of intimate. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, can you talk about that? Yeah, our our last production we did was called Terminus, and um, it was set during the very end of the American Civil War. And you followed a group of deserters as they tried to make their way home. Mm-hmm. And it was originally inspired by the book Watership Down, actually. And that old, that idea of following rabbits. But rather than rabbits, you had these um, Confederate deserters. Um, but what we did is we offered uh, three different paths for the audience to take. Um, mm-hmm. And each path had a different level of physical exertion for the logistics of the folks who are not interested in walking around for a mile, who just kind of want to walk a little bit and sort of sit and, and enjoy a show. Then you had sort of a medium level. That was, uh, they walked, I think, 0.46 miles. Then you had a higher level where they walked um, 0.53 miles, where that one was, you actually had to run at points to keep up with the performers. Was at, in the <laughs> you lost me at running. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, That's this crazy. sounds great. I, I was I, like, I, wait, I'm, run? I'm, gonna have to, mm. I'm, I'm very intrigued by, <laughs> you know, by the experience. I'm, we'll have to check it out at some point for sure. Mm. So in that aspect, yeah, we do have to have sort of a small audience, which is um, I have something I really like. It really creates a... A high demand for our shows because there's a very limited mm-hmm. amount of tickets. How many people are you typically seeing, you know, in the audience? Um, our last uh, the terminus, we had um, our largest audience area. We had about, uh, I think, we could go up to 60 or 70 people, mm-hmm. and then the next path we had 30. And the next path we could only um, invite 20 people on the path where you had to run because we had to keep track of all these people. Man, I bet that mm-hmm. makes for yeah. such a, a great show that that intimate setting, though. Mm-hmm. It really does. I mean, imagine you're following this character. Um, that is your character to follow. You know you along mm-hmm. with 20 other people. And um, he's a Confederate soldier, and he gets in a, an argument with one of the other men in the group that they're gathered around a, a campfire. And he just suddenly, for whatever reason, says, forget this, and he decides to find his own way. And he, and he leaves. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait, that's the guy i got to follow. So you follow him, and all of a sudden, you're in the woods going further. You get to cross through a creek, and you have no idea where you're at. It's becoming dusk. There's a little bit of lighting to like light the way, but it really becomes this mysterious like where am I experience where you really feel like wow I totally f- I'm s- I've stepped back into old world Georgia and I have no idea I'm lost along with this Confederate deserter. I can imagine what the logistics of just the production side of that yeah. for you lighting uh, you know particularly when you're covering so much ground I mean. Just what I mean, anything could go wrong. Yeah, well, seriously. in any production, anything that no, can go wrong. But especially in these productions, yeah. you know, <laughs> Tell because us we about don't. That. I yeah. know you've got some good stories. About well, that. um, it, we do work. Uh, 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 one of our main um, uh, uh, partners is the Goat Farm Art Center, and we get the, uh, a program through them, and they provide a lot of logistical support. Um, however, behind the scenes, my wife, Miriam College, she uh, wrote the play, and uh, uh, her notebook was like something from a beautiful mind uh, because it was just circles and this all figuring out the logistics of when this people had to because because the, these um these paths crossed at multiple times when the characters would 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 find each other again so it had to time out perfectly yeah and we had to really just say okay well if this is gonna we'll add an extra scene in here if this guy's running yeah. late yeah. or if the audience is moving slowly this one night it became yeah it was very very wow. logistically heavy and there were a lot of um a lot of uh, challenges, not to mention rain, of course. Of sure. course. That yes. was a big yeah. thing. Yeah. Can't get around. Weather. Right. Yeah, we, I became obsessed with looking at my weather channel app on my phone, <laughs> being like, <laughs> reboot, reboot, where's the cloud right now? And um, uh, however, that being said, what that also did was we had one night where we had this big rain cloud passing right over where the performance was. Um, this was at the uh, the Clyde Shepherd Nature Preserve in Decatur, inside the perimeter. And, um, um, and the cloud... 
it, it was going to pass right over right before we started. So we, we decided to, to keep the show going. We weren't going to cancel. So the audience waited. And the rain came, and they all kind of waited under the umbrellas. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And until about an hour, we waited an hour for us to start. And the audience, they waited an this entire hour. This is part hour. of it. This exactly. For but this. what happened is you, the show started. <laughs> it usually starts at daylight. But it started mm-hmm. at night at this time with this sort of beautiful, like, fog of like mist around and you had mm-hmm. these characters all the characters had lanterns because you know they're confederate oh, wow. in the woods yeah, so yeah. you had this wow this real like mystery that came out of it that only they experienced no other audience experienced that and that that's what i think makes this kind of um, performance cool. magical are you are you familiar with the new york shows like sleep no more yeah, and is yeah. that it's, it's very similar right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um we when, uh, halfway through rural wolf we had a lot of audience members tell us um, oh, you have to check out the show up in New York called Sleep No More, Sleep No More. And we're like, okay. Well, and yeah, it's very similar. Oh, it's um, cool. they, uh, it's a sort of choose your own adventure thing. They have, I think, eight stories. And we went, I went to go see it. Um, and it follows Macbeth. And you get to sort of follow. It's, it's that This kind of, I think it's because of um, nowadays the audience needs to be. Constant stimulus. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you really got to be kicked in the butt the to get there. involved. And honestly, you have to step up as a mm-hmm. theatrical artist, too. You really got to oh. give people yeah. what they want. Yeah. And then once you give them what they want, multi, multiple stimuluses, then you can bring them into a beautiful story like mm-hmm. Macbeth or Watership Down or Red Riding and really explore those things about, you know, what's it like to be human and all that crap. Yeah. What kind of, uh, what's the age range <laughs> of your, your audience so far? Um, is it younger or just a, a mix of everything? We have a it huge seems like it would really age range. I think because folks don't, I don't know, we're like the weird outskirts of the theatrical community. People do not, they don't associate us along with like the Alliance or things like that. Um, and they do amazing work, but what we do is so different mm-hmm. that it becomes very, um, almost like an event, like going mm-hmm. to a concert or going to mm-hmm. um, something like that. And so what that does is provides a really large uh, age range for us. We have mm-hmm. very, very, very old ladies who bring their canes and want to walk and sit and watch the thing outside. And, mm-hmm. and and then we have the really young kids out of high school that want to run in the woods. And, yeah, it's a huge, huge, diverse group that we cater to. That's great. We've been talking to Philip Justman of Sia Arts International and uh, learning about their really cool um, immersive types of productions that actually involve following the cast around through the course of a story. I can only imagine what that experience is like. I'm going to have to definitely check it out. Um, you know, as we mentioned at the jump that, uh, you know, you were introduced to us by John. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how, you know, th- you know, he comes into play in terms of what you're doing with Sia Arts? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we met John in 2012, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, there. right after Rule Wolf because um, we put on the show, and honestly, because of these shows up in New York, we're getting a lot of attention. Nice. Um, there were some folks who saw our show and wanted to sort of talk more about it. And um, so we went up to New York to talk to some folks that were interested in the show, and, and you know, myself and my wife, who were just graduated from college, you know, we're in this world of like, okay, we're about to meet with all these producers. We have no idea what's going to happen or who. <laughs> you know. right. So um, a friend of the family's got us connected with John. And, um, and yeah, and my first few interactions with John were just on the phone while I was up in New York trying to figure out what to do. And he provided a great um, uh, a grounding on, okay, well, this here's this, here's that, here's this. And uh, providing some safety in terms of like contractual work and stuff like that. And um, 
it's funny the whole time when I was talking with them, I, I imagine John as like this <laughs> madman type guy, like looking out of his high rise in a suit. You I know, just with picture his, like, him like doing like yeah, a maniacal laugh, like <laughs> twirling his scotch, saying, "All right, Philip, let me yes. tell you how it really is." <laughs> yeah. And I and I meet John, and he's such a sweet, awesome guy, so down to earth, <laughs> and so willing to work with us on so many levels. And yeah, since then, um, ruining his reputation. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right. yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> and in fact, I have an office at the goat farm where everything's a little dusty yeah. and a little drafty. Yeah. So. <laughs> Pretty much the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, where did you get your genesis for this idea? I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's other productions out there that are kind mm-hmm. of in the same space. But, I mean, t- take me through how you got to, to this point where you um, wanted to put on these types of crazy, huge productions. Like yeah, that. honestly, I would probably have to um, to chalk up the the original inspiration for doing this kind of performance to my wife, Miriam. She, um, she's, uh, we're partners in crime with this, and she, she's written Real Wolf and Terminus, and she uh, has directed a couple of our shows. I've co-directed in production, managed a lot of the shows as well, and acted in. And um, uh, we were at, was when we first were meeting, and, sh- and she approached me with a real fire in terms of like, let's make theater, let's make storytelling that is so brave and so audaciously different and so interesting and so engaging that that let's forget about what everyone else is doing what everyone else has done and let's just try to do something and also let's make everything we do come from the story itself honestly the reason why we have like for instance terminus the audience out in the woods running after these confederate soldiers is because it authentically puts you in their situation it's not like Mm an interesting gimmick it's about furthering the story it all comes from the story itself from the authenticity of the story and um and she's the one that really pushed that um, uh, forward in our company first, and we've sort of run with it first. And like I said, now we're sort of looking at doing um, some film work and stuff because, like I said, the, I think the core of what we do is not about this interesting immersive stuff, which is interesting and really exciting. And I'd go see an immersive show if you haven't seen them before. It's really a different way to experience theater. But what the core of what we do is about our storytelling and, and, and character work and really creating, like, once-in-a-lifetime stories that really get your, you know. That's cool. That's really Just cool. I know where I'm. I'm asking to go on my next date. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. You got one set? <laughs> oh well, I can this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we run out of time, we 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 stayed long, but it's been worthwhile. Uh, you know, tell folks how to get in touch with Saya Arts International, where they can link up with you, and how to get involved with your shows. Yeah, um, we have uh, our website Saya.org. That's S-A-I-A-H dot O-R-G. Um, we're very active on Facebook. That's Facebook backslash Saya ATL. And um, um, we also have Instagram and Twitter, but that's all, you know, if you go on our website or Facebook. And also we have an event coming up on the 22nd, November 22nd, which is um, uh, it's being uh, uh, in coordination with Out of Hand Theater. They're a local theater company here as well. And they're doing a show called White Rabbit, Red Rabbit. And it's a really interesting play. Um, and it sort of goes along with what we do because the play is – um, there's no director, there's no set, there's no rehearsal. The actor is just given the script because the script was written by this um, um, Iranian uh, playwright who can't leave um, Iran. And so, uh, wait, is that yeah. the story or no, that not, really that, th- happened? Th- th- this is actually wh- why <laughs> it's performed this way. And because of this, gotcha. um, uh, there's no rehearsal or no anything. The, 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 um, the actor or actress has given the script and just has to perform it. And it's supposed to be a really amazing, really like wild event. And that's happening at. Um, the um, Goat and Hammer studio at the Goat Farm. On the 22nd. On the 22nd, yeah. Awesome. And w- when you look up Saya on Twitter, it's Saya 
Arts. Sci Arts. There's because yeah. there's a couple actually with the same spelling. Mm-hmm. So just so you know, if mm-hmm. you're trying to link up with them, you want to make sure you link up with with them at uh, at Sci Arts mm-hmm. on Twitter. Of course, we've already followed you. So if they follow the show at Midtown BRX, then they'll be able to uh, right. find you there and our followers or our following of as and well. Followers. That's right. We're following right now. Hopefully, you'll follow back. <laughs> <laughs> so any anything else before everybody go? Does anybody have a parting thought before we have to jump off? Time flew today, huh? Make sure, if you're an artist and you're listening... Don't infringe. (laughs) (laughs) Don't infringe and protect yourself. Link up with somebody like John C. at the John C. Law Firm to uh, make sure that you protect the art that you have been creating. Thank you all, everybody, for uh, making time. It's been a great cast of guests today on the show. Thanks for Krista for being a part of the uh, the, sh- the show today like you have been. Thanks for letting me push your button. Thanks for doing that <laughs> every week, week after week. Yeah. Make sure you tune in <laughs> to the show next week. Same time, same place. We'll see you all then. Yeah.